0: Amen. Good morning. Well, for those that are watching us online, we have more people in the room. So let's just let them hear us. Okay. If you're here, say yeah. yeah. All right. So we're, we're tearing this opening. We're getting, we're getting rolling and uh, I'm excited for July 12th so that we'll all be able to come together and, and be worshiping together. Uh, I do want to mention this. If you are currently one of our leaders who's been attending or one of our staff that's been attending, we still need you to register for the services. So we, we've got a certain number that we can we can hold that we can accommodate for now. And so uh, if you have been coming, you still need to, to register uh, via the text registration. So make sure you do that. Don't take it for granted because then we'll end up with more people than we have seats, amen. Well, I wanna mention this because I thought it was just super cool. Um, Of course, Katie Morgan was leading this morning and, um, with the worship team. But many of you recognize this, but many of you may not have recognized this, but her father, Chris Morgan, was there helping lead. And what's, what, well, that's cool is you have a father and a daughter. That's awesome. But what's even more cool or double cool or however you want to say it is that Chris is, A dear friend of ours, and he is a staff pastor at 12 Stone Church. And so, what we had this morning was an example of the body of Christ coming together across the walls of different church, you know, church names. And uh, I just, I just, I don't know. For me, I just thought, I'm not sure that I've ever seen that, uh, at least in my experience. A dad with his daughter, and both of them are members of neighboring churches coming together to lead the body of Christ in worship. So I just thought, what an awesome experience and what a kingdom thing. And so I was super excited by that. All right, this morning, I want to um, finalize our series. We've been teaching on biblical justice. Um, I know uh, I've heard from many of you how the, the study of biblical justice has been super helpful in helping you to get a biblical paradigm and understanding when the scripture talks about doing justice, what it actually means, what the words actually means, And uh, words actually mean, and, and so it's helped calibrate you. And I, and I pray that in the days ahead, as we talk about righteousness and justice, as we talk about the expansion of the kingdom of God, as we talk about doing justice, that we're able to use um, these thoughts as a plumb line for how we express justice in the earth. It's, it's not something, justice isn't an idea that our government gives us. It's not an idea that the world gives us. It's an idea that Jesus gives us and that the kingdom of God is built on his throne, which is established on righteousness and justice. And so these things are not foreign to to the community of faith. They are native to us and they are intrinsic to the gospel. And so when we have these components in our minds and our, this understanding, then we're able to actually, with a, a heart that accords with the kingdom of God, we're able to to live righteously and do justly as a normative part of the way we live. Amen. So uh, let's do this. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get into this final uh, message in the series. And I really, I'm asking Holy Spirit, even today, to to release clarity and to really plumb line these things in our hearts. And so uh, would you just pray with me as we as we believe God even now to transform us by the word. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Jesus, I'm here to be used in any way you desire. This is for your glory and for your praise. And I'm here to worship you even in the preaching. You're the one that we love. You're the one that we that we desire, that we want to portray, that we want to express your heart and your kingdom. And so, Jesus, we came to hear from you, so I pray, use my weak words, anoint them, and let me speak as your oracle today. Let me say the things that are on your heart that will give us clarity that we can live by your values according to your will and for your glory. And so, Lord, even right now, I'm asking, open the eyes of our understanding. Break in with light and revelation. Shift our paradigms. Let the word of the Lord run swiftly and be glorified. And Lord, stand here with me. Hold my hand. I give you thanks. I give you praise. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. A little better amen. amen. All right, good. Okay, so the notes are there available online for you if you're following on Any of our feeds, they put them in the comment section, the easy link. Um, If you're here in the room, you can get them from our website, prayermissionschurch.com. And I'm just going to walk through uh, the beginning today, just talking uh, a little recap of where we were last week. And then what I want to do is I want to express from the Scripture uh, the role of spiritual warfare as it relates to justice, and then talk about Jesus key teaching on justice and how we're to engage in that. And then I want to give us uh, activities that you may or may not know that our spiritual family is engaged with basically weekly as it relates to doing justice. So that's our path for today. Let's go ahead and, and let's get into this. Now, last week we talked about how the Old Testament word that's translated justice, it's, it's, a, it's a Hebrew word, mishpat, how that word is actually translated justice 120 times, but it's translated judgment 102 times. And so these two concepts of judgment and justice, they are uh, inextricably linked in the heart of God. They're very, very close to one another. They work together. So when he moves in justice, it is an activity of his judgment. And that's what we found out last week, that... So often people think about the judgment of God as something to be feared, something to to worry about, but we found out uh, in the psalm that he says his judgments are true and righteous altogether. They're more to be desired than the honey in the honeycomb. Now think about that. They're true and righteous altogether and more to be desired than honey in the honeycomb, more than silver and gold. They're sweet, they're good, they're to be prayed for, they're valuable. And so when we think about the judgment of God, we we shouldn't automatically go, oh no, God's judgments, they're bad for us. No, 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 God's judgments are good because God's judgments are his decisions. And when he judges, he's acting according to his nature because his judgment and his justice work together. And so when God judges, it's always according to his nature and for his glory. And his people are to desire his judgments. We're supposed to live in the place where we're saying, judge righteously, O judge of the earth. Do justice, do righteousness. Judge righteously, O judge of the earth. And so this is a real shift from a lot of modern teaching because a lot of people want to say, well, no, 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 God doesn't do judgment anymore. And I would say if you say God does not do judgment anymore, then you have to say he doesn't do justice anymore. And what you've effectively done is created a God in your own image according to your own likeness instead of a God according to the scripture who is what he says he is and who does what he says he does. That's a great place to say amen. I'll just give you all the cues for amen today. And so uh, to ask him to not do justice or not do judgment would be to, to ask him to do less than what he is, to be something that he's not. For us to understand him as a God that doesn't do judgment or justice, we'd have to say, you're a different God than what the Bible says you are. And that is not just incomplete, it's unbiblical, and it's deception. So here's what we have to come to, that justice is part of the the core nature of God. When he declared his name to Moses in Exodus 34, he described himself as a God of mercy and a God of justice who by no means clears the guilty, the unrepentant guilty, those who are unrepentant that that stand against God. Because he's a God of justice, he actually visits upon them and their, their progeny and their generations the outcome of their sin. He's a God of justice. And so this is where it comes down to. That at the center of all justice is a man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the center of all true justice. It's the core of his nature. It's who he is. It's what he values. It's one of his attributes. And Jesus Christ is the judge of the nations. He's the judge of the earth. When he comes back, Isaiah 42 makes it so super clear. He's going to bring justice to all the nations. He's going to make all the wrong things right. Isaiah 42, he says, I've held my peace a long time. Now I will pant and gasp aloud. He's like a warrior coming back to institute justice across all the nations of the earth. You have to get this clear in your mind. You have to understand our Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he will make all the wrong things right. And so what he calls his church to do right now is to engage in the activities of his own heart according to his nature. So we're supposed to live righteously and do justly as an expression of his kingdom now that we'll see in part and in fullness when he returns. Amen. And so we just have to catch this, that what the world will do, and I talked about this last week, is the world will co-opt biblical language Change the, change the meaning of it, and then utilize it for their own purposes. And I said it very clearly last week, if it's not according to the nature, the will, and the glory of God, it's not the justice of God. And that's not to say this, because uh, uh, Alicia, my assistant, she asked me, so she goes, so are you saying that only Christians can actually do justice? And, and, and I said, no, 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 God's way bigger than that. God can use a donkey to bring about his purposes. He can use an unsaved, unregenerate judge, king, leader to bring about his purposes. He, he can use anybody to, to bring about his purposes according to his nature, his will, and his glory. But here's the thing, it has to be biblical, it has to be according to his desires. So even somebody who's completely unaware of God's ways and will could actually act in accordance with his ways and will because he's sovereign. He says it this way, he says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it however he wishes. And so true justice is according to the nature, the will, and the glory of God. False justice ultimately exalts something else instead of God's desires, God's will, and God's ways. And that's how we're able to discern if something is true justice, biblical justice, kingdom justice, however you want to say it, or if something is false justice. And what the enemy loves to do, and we talked about this last week, is he loves to use the terminology put shreds of truth in it that actually accord with biblical understanding and then fill it full of deception, call it something good, but it's actually something evil. And so we have to be a people who are so peculiar, who are so anchored to the word of God, so anchored to the scripture, so anchored to Jesus Christ, And what we find is we'll find ourselves at times and it sounds like we we may say certain things and it sounds like we're on the political left and and then we say other things and it sounds like we're on the political right And, and the deal is we're not in either camp because our kingdom is not of this world and Jesus is preeminent over all. So when we're speaking the kingdom values into the earth, we're speaking something that transcends right or left. It transcends generations and cultures. It transcends everything because he is supreme. He reigns over all. He's over all culture. He's over all political parties. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. And his church should accord with his values and live for his glory. Amen. All right. I'm already preaching. I'm just in the introduction. All right. Now, let's talk about justice and spiritual warfare. Okay? justice and spiritual warfare. Now, this is something I've found as a, as a, a teacher and a preacher uh, of the Word, is that oftentimes what you'll find is um, different preachers, teachers, movements, they will emphasize a certain uh, message from the Scripture uh, above others. Like certain groups will have a, a gift for, for maybe physical healing. Uh, other groups will have maybe uh, an emphasis on uh, you know an area of prophecy or revelation others will have an emphasis an emphasis on doing works of justice or outreach and, and what i find is the lord actually sets the members in the body as he wills and and that's okay uh, but you don't want to you you don't want to emphasize one to the exclusion of all the others okay but, but here's what tends to happen in our humanity because we're imperfect and, um, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty simple, really. We're kind of simple people. What we'll tend to do is emphasize one, exclude the others, and, and, and because we have real revelation in one area, we will actually emphasize that area and pit that area against other areas that are actually kingdom things for instance like oftentimes i'll hear um somebody preach on mercy and 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 you hear the this kingdom value of mercy and it's so rich and it's so beautiful and i love preaching on the mercy of the lord there's i mean there's almost nothing that moves me into intimacy with God than sitting there under the revelation of His mercy towards me and how deserving I am of judgment and, and how deserving I am of, 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 of retribution because of sin. But His mercy rescued me. I mean, I, I was broke and I hated God and He broke into my life and He, He healed me and He, and He set me free. He, He delivered me and, and He showed me His mercy. And man, it, it just moves me. But oftentimes you hear somebody, they'll they'll preach a heavy message of mercy, and they'll never talk about judgment. Or the vice versa could be true. You hear a heavy message of judgment, and they never talk about mercy. And, And here's what we have to catch, that in God, he does not have to delay one of his attributes to operate in another. He can operate in mercy and in judgment simultaneously without any contradiction. He is perfect in all his ways. He's not like us. What we do is if we're, if we're going to move in, in righteous, let's say we're going to move in wrath, righteous anger, if, say, we're, say we're, we're righteously indignant about something, usually you find that person is righteously indignant and there's no empathy, there's no mercy. Or you find the person, they're very merciful. They're just oozing with mercy and kindness and they just never want to bring accountability to sin. And, and here's the thing, that's, that's human, that's us. That's, we're simple. I, I call myself often a one-trick pony because I, I just, you know, whatever I get on, I just get, I hold on to that thing and that's what I ride. But God's not like that. All of his attributes... He's able to operate in all of them at the same time without contradiction in any way. Our God is great. He's grand. He's beyond our understanding. Dustin and I were praying this morning and I was just saying, Lord, shut down our ways and teach us your ways because your ways are infinitely above our ways. They're not a little bit above. It's not like, oh, well, I got a college degree and God's really got the master's. No. We are kindergartners and he's got one trillion doctorates, okay? And it's just, I mean, he is brilliant. His ways are beyond finding out. And so when we conceive of God, Don't don't get into this thing where you imagine him to be sort of a one-trick pony like you. He can operate in all attributes, all at the same time, without any contradiction. He doesn't have to hold back on one uh, of his attributes while he operates in another. No, we found out last week that God can operate in judgment and mercy together, and he does it all the time, and I gave the illustration of the cross. Well, this is often the conversation that arises when we talk about justice because one person will say, I am praying for justice. I'm praying for justice. And then the next person will say, well, your prayers can only take you so far. You got to do justice. And effectively what they do is they pit the two against one another. The works of justice get pitted against prayers for justice. And I'm telling you in the kingdom of God, it doesn't It's not that way. That's not how it is. Uh, I've got many examples of this. I've heard this often. And I wholeheartedly agree. Now, just hear me. Just hear me out fully. I wholeheartedly agree that we have to do works of justice. I've emphasized that for the last two weeks. But at the same time, I will tell you this. Prayer for justice is not somehow the salt that you sort of sprinkle on the justice meal. It's not sort of this complement to the actual work. Prayer for justice is as real and as much of the work as any kind of putting sort of boots on the ground activities of justice, and we can't get it twisted and act like one is more essential than the other. In fact, here's the deal. We have to realize That when we're working for justice, there is an enemy of that activity. His name is Lucifer. He's known as Satan because he's been cast from the abode of God in rebellion. He stands against every activity of righteousness and justice. And as I already mentioned, what he does is he loves to utilize the same terminology, twist it at the root, and he will actually use kingdom terminology for his own selfish purposes to get people to turn away from God and actually turn towards him. He's really sly. He uses something called deception. The thing about deception, it's hard, is that it's very deceiving, Somebody goes, I'm not deceived. Well, how do you know? (laughs) Deception is very deceiving. You have to be anchored to the Bible, to the truth of the word of God, and and not demand the Bible to speak to you, uh, to tell you how you're right, but actually come under the scripture and allow it to dictate what is right to you and allow your life to accord with what the scripture says. And that will cause you to be in all sorts of challenging places. You'll have to say things that aren't popular. You'll find yourself in one conversation agreeing with this group and in another conversation agreeing with that group, and then you'll find, well, neither group really expresses my heart because my heart is what the Bible says. We have an enemy in this fight for justice. It's Satan, he's the enemy, and here's my point. If we don't address things spiritually, it doesn't even matter if we address things naturally. I'll just say that again. If we do not address things spiritually, it does not matter if we address things naturally. Because whatever is of kingdom value, whatever is according to kingdom power, whatever releases kingdom influence in the world, in the earth, has to first be bought in prayer before it's ever bought in actions. And the scripture makes this so evidently clear. And so if we're going to do things Jesus' way, we actually have to live out his ways, and we're going to look peculiar. Let's just think about this, this concept of prayer, for instance, how weird that is. You're speaking to a God you cannot see, and he speaks back to you. I mean, have you ever seen like these interviews that they'll they'll get a a, a Christian pastor sometimes and they'll they'll ask him, they'll just try to get him in a gotcha moment and they go, so does God speak to you? (laughs) And they make it sound really odd, like you're just the weirdest thing. So you're hearing voices. You hear voices? Okay. Okay, pastor. Hearing voices. That's good. You know, I mean, they just, and they'll just mock it. But at the core of our faith is we speak to a God we cannot see and he hears and he cares. And when we ask him to do his will, he institutes his will in the earth. And, and this is a, a component of our faith that is absolutely critical, that he does nothing on, on the earth unless he does it in, in agreement with humans. Now, God set himself up that way. He, he doesn't need us, but he set up the structure that he would have human agreement on the earth in order to institute his will. That's what he does. That human agreement is prayer. People who said, we want your will. Why did Jesus ask us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done? Couldn't he bring his kingdom and do his will anyway? Yes, he could. He's God. He's sovereign. He can do all things. But guess what? He has wrapped himself into this commitment of relationship with you and I, where he wants humans on the earth to ask him to institute his will. That transaction of prayer is how he runs his kingdom. Even in Psalm 2, he tells his son, he tells Jesus, the father tells Jesus, ask me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. Now think that through for a moment. This institution of prayer is so central to the progress of the kingdom of God that even the father tells the son for the son to ask the father. If this is how he runs his kingdom, how much more should his church be engaged in asking him to institute his will on the earth? And, and so this is a, it's a, a grand mystery. It's completely peculiar. Nobody that doesn't, that that it's unsaved would think this makes any sense. But if the church gets off of this component, this rudimentary component of the kingdom, If we get off of this idea that we're asking God to release justice first, then all of a sudden we're going to be operating in another spirit. Let me just go through the verses for a moment. Ephesians chapter 6. Remember this. Some of you know what I'm about to quote, verse 12. You could probably quote it with me. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And he goes on to say pray with all manner of prayer. And he he, he makes that a component of how we stand in the evil day. Now, I'm not one of these people that finds a demon behind every tree. I believe that humans, they operate in certain ways that have repercussions and that there is personal responsibility for sure. But I do believe this, that there is a constant warfare going on between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light and that what's pressing the human heart, what's pressing the governmental seats of authority, what's pressing, you know, leaders of nations, uh, leaders of finance, leaders of all sorts of entertainment, all sorts of the the different uh, mountains of influence in the earth are principalities and powers. There's spiritual hosts of wickedness that are always trying to move and, and try to to emphasize their desires for for people to stand against the will of god and if the church somehow forgets that we are in a spiritual warfare then then our only our only option is to wage war in the flesh and so we can't we can't Forget that we're wrestling against forces of darkness. Because if we do, we we just get in the flesh. And here's the deal. If you wrestle in the flesh, against flesh, I can guarantee you something. Flesh will win. If flesh is fighting flesh, I guarantee you flesh will win. And if flesh wins, I can guarantee you something. It will produce ultimately death. Flesh produces death. Romans 8, abundantly clear. But if the church will wrestle in the spirit by the power of God against the forces of darkness and not against flesh and blood, guess what happens? The spirit of God will prevail against the forces of darkness and life will prevail. Life will ensue. Flesh against flesh and death prevails. Spirits against demonic forces in the spiritual realms and life will, pers- per- will prevail. And beloved, this is at the core of all of the activity and the manifestation of the kingdom of God. Now I know you know this in principle. How many messages have you heard on spiritual warfare? I know you know this in principle, but here's the the deal where the rubber meets the road. We must engage in, in this kind of a warfare the way the Bible prescribes, or we will be in the flesh. You can know it up here, completely forget it, live it out another way, get in the flesh, and all you're producing ultimately is death. And I feel this so strongly that one of the reasons why the church is... So ineffective in so many ways. It's because we first haven't purchased in the spirit through prayer, kingdom effect in the earth. We've run into the battle waging war before we've, on the ground, before we've gotten air supremacy. And we're called to be a people that does not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers. If we will engage in the spirit with the weapons of prayer, because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. If we will wrestle in the spirit first, when we go in as ground troops, the spoils are ours. I have watched this over and over and over in my life, in my ministry. When we when we did Stone Mountain, I was blown away. Blown away. Because we committed, I mean, hours, thousands of hours of prayer to standing on the largest confederate monument in the world and denouncing racism. Now, just think about that for a minute. That does not sound like a good idea. That sounds like you are picking a fight that's going to cost you. And we got threats. We had people threatening us. My name, they were throwing my name around in these little online subgroups. I'm going to get that guy, and he's a this and a that. They were saying all sorts of stuff. Our our administrators were trying to hide the messages from me. (laughs) I started reading them. I was like, whoa. (laughs) Whoa. This is serious. But do you know what? Day of, there wasn't a hitch. There wasn't a speed bump. There wasn't a pebble in the, in the road. Because we gained air supremacy. So when we went in on the ground, the spoils were ours. And as we marched in the streets of Atlanta, see, the Lord gave me a vision years ago. In 2003, he said the two principalities over Atlanta are racism and religion. So here's my deal. I knew he was calling me to pull down racism and pull down religion so the kingdom of God could bring life to the streets of Atlanta. And so we can have a massive revival. And when we were marching through the streets of Atlanta, and I know, man, not everybody has this in their mind, but I do. We're walking in the power of the kingdom. We're declaring the name of Jesus over this city, this is what we're doing. We're releasing the glory of God in the name of Jesus. And as we're doing that, we get to the Capitol, and I have a pastor leans over at me. He goes, you know what You know what this is today? Because it, so it was so easy on so many fronts. It shouldn't have been that easy. He, I, I mean, it, it was literally more tense, more challenging, more risky than Stone Mountain. He says, you know what this is? I said, what? He goes, you're walking in the spoils that you purchased on top of Stone Mountain. Because we went in the spirit first and then we take it on the ground. And if we fail to recognize that we're wrestling against demonic forces, you're going to battle in the flesh. And this is what I see a lot of Christians do. They're working, working, working. They are burning themselves out. They are doing every kind of thing that they can possibly muster and they are not addressing the root issue because they're not addressing things in the spirit And they strain and strive, and so often they get beat down. Because flesh against flesh, flesh will win. And when flesh wins, death ensues. So, the bottom line is, we have to do it in prayer first. And without prayer, there are no actions of justice. They go together. We don't pit one against the other. And we don't say, all we have to do is pray. No, Jesus said go. He said do. There, there's both and, and we don't say, you, you, you know, you need one without the other. You never say that. You do them both. We do prayer and we do action. Amen. Say, say prayer and action. That's Christianity. Prayer and action. And, and the action is we walk out what we purchased in prayer. That's the kingdom. That's what this thing is. All right, so let's look now at Jesus' key teaching on justice. It's really interesting. It's this parable he told in in Luke 18. Now, so much of his teaching, I told you before, he's actually telling us to do justice. But in this passage, it's the the most significant one where he actually emphasizes the terms of For justice, And in this particular passage, he's specifically talking about reparative or restorative justice. And he tells a story. Let's read it, and then I'll I'll sort of retell it, and then we'll, we'll work through the passage. It's Luke 18, and I've preached on this many, many, many times. But let's just walk through it again. It says, then he spoke a parable to them, to the disciples, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart saying there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. Get justice for me. And and that word for justice there, there's there's two New Testament words, two Greek words that are used. This one specifically means avenge me. Restore what's been taken from me. It's powerful. Get justice for me from my adversary. And this unjust judge, he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. Same word. I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Do you hear that? That even his point right there in verse 6 is even the unjust judge said he would do justice because of this widow's continual coming. But verse 7, And shall God not avenge, again the same word, his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Now, I'm not going to do a full teaching on this parable, but let me just give you some points. The purpose of this parable is to get people to pray and not quit. He says it at the top. The reason why he was telling the parable is so men would pray and not lose heart, or another, way, another translation says, pray and not faint. Hear me, hear me. How many times? I mean, I, I've been doing this deal 25 plus years and full-time ministry, how many times have I heard believers tell me, well, I was praying, but God didn't answer, so i got to do something else. No, there's nothing else to do until you pray to get your answer. There is no other thing to do. You can't do something else if you haven't prayed through. So, he taught this parable to teach us this principle that when we pray, we pray until we get the answer. You know that old thing, push? You pray until something happens. You push. You pray until something happens. Now, we don't push in the flesh, we get grace to pray and intercede. But we pray and we don't stop praying. He says, keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. He who knocks, it will be open. He who asks, he will receive. He who seeks, he will find. There is a, there's got to be a grit in the heart of believers where we will pray and we don't stop until we pray through. I love the old Pentecostals. Man, they used to pray through. Anybody ever went to one of those churches that had those tarrying meetings? And they, those watch night meetings? And man, they just go and they just bury themselves in the altar and just pray. Until they prayed through, through what? Through all the traffic in the spirit, through all the warfare in the mind, through all the atmospheric stuff. They prayed until they prayed through. And we've lost that. We think the obligatory prayer, prayer over the meal, God bless the meal and God bless the outreach in Jesus' name, is like that's it. And I'm telling you, there's got to be a place where we take our stand in the Spirit and recognize, I'm not fighting people. I'm not not even fighting systemic injustice, though I'm against it. I'm fighting demons. I'm fighting Lucifer. And I'm fighting his activities in the earth. And if I want to see justice, I need to dethrone that principality that has been doing injustice and utilizing man as his puppets so there's got to be this place where we'll say, I'm going to pray until something happens. I'm going to pray until I get a breakthrough. And that's why Jesus taught this. He said, I want to teach you a parable that men should pray always and don't give up. And I get it. I've been doing intercessory ministry for a long time. I've been to more unanointed prayer meetings than 99% of the people that I know. I've sledgehammered and rock hammered in prayer for hours. I get it. It's not fun. But man, when the wind comes, and when the note of breakthrough comes, and you're praying, and you're sweating, and you're crying, and you're you're praying through, you're getting breakthrough, and then all of a sudden, it's like a lightning hits the room, and this joy comes in your soul in the middle of the travail, and you're like, what is this? (laughs) Ha ha, ha ha, what is that? That's the note of victory. And you pray through, guys. Don't just pray your little obligatory, now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. That's ridiculous. Get a hold. I always picture myself of getting a hold of the legs of the throne of God. And like Jacob, I won't let you go until you bless me. I won't let you go until you bless my generation. That's what it means to pray through. That's what it means to get a breakthrough. That's what it means to be a gatekeeper, to open the gates so the glory of God comes in. Do it in your family. Do it for your church. Do it for your nation. Do it for justice. Do it for righteousness. This is how we're supposed to pray. That's why he's teaching us this parable. And then what does he do in this parable? He actually gives us a contrast. Hear me. Some people see, read this parable and they go, oh, oh, God is an unjust judge and I'm just a widow. No, that's not what he's doing with this. What he's doing with this is showing you a contrast. He goes, let me tell you a story about even what an unjust judge will do. And this unjust judge who doesn't fear God, that's not an emblem of God. That's the opposite of God. God is a just judge. He goes, an unjust judge will even work on behalf of a widow, one that can give him nothing, that can influence him in no way, when the widow decides, I will not stop until I get a breakthrough. He says, an unjust judge will even move for a widow. How much more is the idea? Verse 7, he goes, and will not God. Now he goes, he's making the transition. He goes, if that's what the unjust judge does, what does God do? Won't God avenge his own elect? And the New King James, it says that this, though he bears long with them, but that translation isn't very good. Read the other versions. It says, though he waits maybe, though he tarries a while, though though he's waiting for the right moment, So often we think God's answer to our prayer is no and God's answer is yes. And he's saying, I have the perfect time where the answer to the thing you just asked me is going to be released. You need to be patient. Stay in faith. Because when I release that answer, it's going to bring about a ripple effect of kingdom blessing that you have no idea about right now. And so we give up when it's not on our schedule. And God's already said yes. And he says, now through faith and patience. You inherit the promises so his point is this if you'll pray and don't give up God is not unjust he's just and you're not a widow you're his bride can you imagine walking in to the courtroom and the one on the throne is your husband you think that's not stacked in your favor You're getting what you asked. And that's the point he's making, guys. But then he says this, but will the Son of Man find faith on the earth? He says, he will answer his people who cry out to him night and day, but when he returns, will he find a people in faith? What does that mean? That are crying out night and day that are persevering in prayer that are prevailing in the place of intercession that are praying until something happens he goes will I really find that in the generation in which the Lord returns and you have to read this passage in context because Luke 17 that last part of the chapter he's in the middle of a teaching about his second coming and then he gives us Luke 18 this parable he's talking about the season of trial and challenge on the earth right before he returns and he's saying I'm trying to get something in you, that you'd be a praying people until my return. Because the earth requires a witness at the end of the age who will pray until justice rolls down like a mighty river. Until he brings justice to the nations. And beloved, this is who we are called to be. God will avenge when we cry out God will make all the wrong things right. When we cry out, God will do justice. And he says, he'll do it speedily. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean that he answers speedily all the time because he tells us he may tarry long. But it means this, that when he moves in the work of justice, it will come like a tidal wave. It will come so quickly. It will come so shockingly. And the darkest night is when the sun rises in the darkest time, I, I love that Isaiah 60, when darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the peoples, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord will rise upon you. If we could just get this, that contextually the earth is going to grow darker but there's something God has in mind to release a greater glory in the midst of the greater darkness. And this is what he's doing. And So he's calling a people into partnership in this. And, and so why am I emphasizing this? Because you know what? I want to do works of justice, but I can't walk out on the earth anything I haven't already purchased in the Spirit. I have to walk it out in the Spirit, in prayer, so that I can walk it out on the earth in power. It's how it has to be. We don't do one without the other. We don't do one and and say, that's not enough. We do them both together. And the Lord says, will I find people of faith on the earth crying out night and day? And I just want to say this, guys, This is why, one of the key reasons why we do 24 seven prayer. Luke 18 is one of our theme passages. He will answer speedily when we cry out night and day. That's what we're doing down there in that room. And I know it looks weak sometimes. Sometimes it's, many times it's one person, four chords. Lord, I lift your name on high. I know that. But he's worth 24-7. He's worth 25-8. And if he says cry out night and day, and will I find faith, I want to say, yes, Lord. Find the people right here, yes, Lord, that we will prevail in prayer. We'll do this with you. You want, a, you want an, an all-day, all-night expression of intercession in our city? awesome. You know what that means to me? That means there's an all day, all night of righteousness and justice that's going to be released in our city. We call it revival or reformation. He's going to release justice to the extent that we cry out in prayer to access it. So, I'm landing now. As we pray for justice, we follow Jesus' commands to express justice. As we intercede and cry out for justice, we actually step into the gap and become some of the answers to our prayers. Because when he's expressing the gospel and he's saying, when He, when, for instance, when he quotes Isaiah 61 and he says, this is what I've come to do in the gospel. I've come to preach good tidings to the poor. I've come to heal the brokenhearted. I've come to set at liberty the oppressed. Do you see the activity of justice that's linked? It's it's tied right to the activity of the proclamation of the gospel in Jesus' ministry. They are not separate. They are one. We preach the gospel... uh, Entrance of the kingdom, we preach the gospel of salvation and we do the works that lift the poor and the needy. We do them both together. This is the kingdom. We don't do one without the other. We don't pray without works. We don't preach just the entrance to the kingdom of heaven without the activities of lifting the downtrodden. They both go together. We don't have to pit them against one another. Do you see that? So praying night and day doesn't go against preaching night and day. And preaching night and day doesn't go against acting night and day. We do 24 seven worship and prayer, we do 24 seven acts of justice. And in those acts of justice is the proclamation of the gospel and everything that the gospel is. The entrance to the kingdom, but the broadness of the kingdom, the manifestation of the kingdom, which at its root has the manifestation of righteousness and justice. So in the gospel we preach salvation we preach liberty. We press, preach freedom. We we look out for those who are most vulnerable in the society, and we minister justice on their behalf. We act for the widow. We act for the orphan. We act for the foreigner. We act for the poor, and we act for the oppressed. That's how we do this. We pray and we act. We pray and we act. When do we stop praying? Never. When do we stop acting? Never. This is who we are in the kingdom. So, simple thoughts. I've wasted my breath for three weeks if this doesn't actually turn into how we walk this out with our lives. I'm just, I mean, I just tell you, I'm done with Christian Entertainment Church. I'm just done with this. You can get more Christian entertainment in so many places. This, it's, it's just Ridiculous. No, the church has to actually be what we say we believe. We have to walk this stuff out. And the idea that we would sort of like church message connoisseurs well, I really like the word he preaches over there. Well, I really like the worship over there. And then we would just, from a consumer mentality, just pick the place that we like the best based on our own proclivities. That's ridiculous. God sets the members in the body as he wills. You better ask the Lord where he wants you and then get in that spot and do kingdom in that spot. That's what you better do. You would hate to show up day one of eternity and you go, yeah, Lord, how's it going? He goes, what were you doing? What what do you mean what was I doing? You ran around like some kind of pew hopper, church hopper, going where you liked the, the preaching the most. What were you doing? I'm trying to express my kingdom and you're over there worried about if the air conditioning is cold enough or too cold or whatever the case may be. Because I set the members in the body as I will. I'm trying to be mean, but guys, we got to we got to grow up a little bit right now. Right now, we're coming out of COVID-19, we're coming out of social unrest, we're staring at an economic crisis. Are we going to continue to play games and and act like church is entertainment? Are you kidding me, man? All right, I'll settle down. I'm cool. I'm good. I love y'all. I do. I, I love everybody. I'm a lover, not a fighter. But sometimes I got to fight. All right, here we go. Last thought. What are the works of justice that we engage with as a spiritual family? I've listed them out in the notes. And if you'll, if you'll text 555-888 for justice, for justice to 555 888. You get a list of these things I'm about to say and the contact numbers that you can connect to. 555 888 for justice. And this is how now we put some faith in action. So here's our list. What's the first thing we do for justice? We pray night and day that is as much an act of justice as anything. I still believe the greatest injustice the earth has ever seen is the wholesale rejection of the most precious human, the most precious one that's ever been, Jesus Christ. So we pray for his kingdom to come, and his will to be done and for the nations to enthrone him and give him the glory to his name. We pray for righteousness and justice to go forth. We pray for massive revival and reformation. We pray for breakthrough in the atmosphere. We pray for the spirit of revelation to fill the churches in this region. We pray for every pulpit to be filled with fire, for every congregation to be lit up with the glory of God. We pray for love to abound, unity abound, grace to abound. We pray night and day for justice. And then the rest of these are in no particular order, but these are all justice ministries that flow right out of our spiritual family. We have one race movement, which is founded on racial reconciliation and revival. And and honestly, beloved, I I don't know of anything else that's like what God has been doing with one race. Denominations, cultures, uh, generations, all together, leaders, believers, in the street, with education, with gospel proclamation, with worship, with prayer, with Jesus at the center. This is, it's a mind boggling that God's done that in this time. In four years, what it's become, thousands connected, hundreds of churches. Next, we, we have regular outreaches from foster to uh, adoption ministry called Bridging the Gap. And there's something you'll see often on our, on our Facebook, our New Bridge Facebook, you'll see this care portal request. And the care portal request is how some of our foster to adopt families have needs. And you can literally just meet the need. They, they might have a, a need for some kind of, uh, groceries or some kind of, kind of special situation. And, and so you can just, just answer the care portal request. You're doing justly because you're taking care of orphans. My wife, what's that verse you've been on about you, you do uh, stuff that actually inconveniences you? What is that verse? In Titus? Yeah, Titus 3. My wife's been on this. You meet urgent needs as a normative activity of Christianity. And I'll come home sometimes, and she's whizzing around the kitchen. I go, what are you doing? She goes, oh, somebody needs a meal. And she's like putting it all together. I'm like, do I, do I get to eat anytime? <laughs> She goes, yes, it's coming, but I gotta do this first. And she'll go run to the homeless shelter, or she'll run to somebody who's got a need, somebody's sick, or somebody's had a baby, and she's running, and meals all over. And I'm like, okay, okay, I'll take second place. I'm good. I'm good with that. Because she's obeying the scripture, meets urgent needs. The care portal is part of that. We have a nursing home outreach to widows and widowers and elderly. We do that monthly. You know, the Bible just says, just visit the widow. Just, just sit with them. And it's not just nursing homes. You can do this peer-to-peer in our community. If you know somebody that's in that state, just go hang out. Be a friend. We've got to get out of this, I'm showing up to church and I'm getting my entertainment. We have got to get into full contact Christianity. Good landing, recovery. Do you know that we have as far as we know, I just heard uh, Trey Lewis say this, the largest Christian substance recovery uh, program ministry in the, in the whole city of Atlanta, and it's been birthed right out of our spiritual family. I think last count, about 80 people that are residential that are getting Jesus, they're getting therapy, they've got professional counselors, they're getting deliverance, they're getting psychological stuff, they're getting health, they're getting all this stuff together. It's fantastic. It's part of our spiritual family. When we kick back into services, you'll see the whole Good Landing crew will come in and they usually will sit together Our church family needs to be loving on them, rubbing on them, anointing them. How are you? Hit them with a little something. I mean, let's see them all get set free. This is is what we get to do. We sow monthly into the Lawrenceville Co-op food and clothing poured uh, to the poor. We, we constantly do this. And you can go serve the Lawrenceville Co-op. You can go um, help w- with the reception and the, and, and the the distribution at that place. Uh, we do outreach every single uh, uh, month, a couple times a month, outreach teams. We, and we just, we bring the gospel of salvation to the malls. I see Corinne Childers, she's running that like calling people to preach the gospel everywhere and we do it during our second service now we haven't been doing it during COVID-19 but as soon as we get back we're going to be doing that again you can go out weekly to share the gospel well we don't just take the gospel to 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 our region we take it to the unreached of the earth finish the task we we specifically train people to go to the most hard and the hardest and darkest places of the earth We've prison outreach. I mean, basically every one of those areas of of vulnerability, they're, they're represented from the spiritual family, but we can't just sit back and just go, man, I'm so glad somebody's doing that. That's a good thing. We have to engage. Engage with one another. Engage in intercession. Engage in the outreach. I realized a long time ago when, when the Lord said, Pray the Lord of the harvest, He sent that He would send laborers into the harvest, that the first labor He was likely going to send was the one that was praying. If I prayed for Him to send laborers, guess what? He would oftentimes do to me, put me first in line to be sent. And He wants to do the same with you. Beloved, this is, this is how we have to be thinking as believers. That this is not for someone else. This isn't just for that justice ministry or those people that have that justice bent. Now, I know some people that have a greater gift in a certain area, and I I get that. But man, text that. Text that. How's it? 555-888. How is it? For justice. Get that list. Pray over it. Ask the Lord how you can engage. This is who we're to be as a spiritual family. So we don't do prayer without works of justice we don't do works of justice without prayer we do them together and i believe that is the biblical model that jesus gave us amen all right amen amen let's stand i know if you're watching online i i i know i'm a lot more animated well it's because i got a hundred people in the room (laughs) when it's just you and a camera and you're trying to preach it it's like nothing i don't know how it's hard to interface but when you have it a people that's Connecting to you and pulling on it. There's something else that happens. It's a dynamic. So I just cannot wait till we come back. Can't wait till we're all able to be together. We just, let's just pray just for a moment. Let's just open our hearts right now. Holy Spirit. Lord, we don't want to take our cues from a news channel. From a social organization. Political party. We wanna take our cues from you, from the scripture, and how we can walk out works of justice. We wanna pray unto this end that you would release justice in the nations. And until that day, we're gonna pray until a breakthrough happens. And until that day, we're gonna act. We're gonna do justly. We're gonna live righteously. We're going to walk humbly. Lord, I pray. Draw us into your nature, your will, your character. Lord, conform us to your image. Lord, we love you. We worship you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of the scripture that always introduces us more to you. We give you thanks, seal all these things in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, and everybody that agrees, said amen, amen, and amen. All right, God bless you. We're so glad you joined us this morning. I just want to remind you that our guest reception and our welcome to the family gathering are virtual now, so please RSVP for those. If you have kids, check out our New Bridge Student Ministries Facebook page. This is where you can find lessons every week that are encouraging for the whole family. Stay connected by signing up for our e-newsletter and following us on social media. You can find all that information below. Tune in Wednesday, 7 p.m. and next Sunday, 9 a.m. and 1115. Have a great rest of your day.